Welcome to Freedom Becoming Fully Alive and our current series, Foolproof Solutions for Impossible Relationships. And today's session entitled, You Do Have a Choice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for freedom in you. Lord, true freedom in you. Lord, we'll never be free unless you are the Lord of our lives. We'll never stay free unless our hearts live in submission to you, walking in forgiveness, giving thanks in and for all things, and allowing you to be the one who defines our life and refines our life as we run our race, fixing our eyes on you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, as we conclude this series today, Foolproof Solutions for Impossible Relationships, I pray that we can finish well with clarity and with revelation to, for each of our hearts, Lord, and much encouragement and much grace for day-to-day application. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you're here today. This is going to be our fourth and final session. Jeff, if you'll put the uh, questions up. Before we get to that, though, yes, Jeff's quick. There we go. Can a fool be a Christian? How can I honor my father and mother when they qualify as fools? What if my fool is an adult no longer under my roof? What if I'm seeing my teenager becoming a fool? What if I'm married to a fool? These are the light subjects that we're going to be talking about today. (laughs) That'll be for later in our table talk, just to seed your thinking. And Jeff will put that back up in a moment. But for now, Jeff, if you'll put up today's verse, I love this verse. I love all of God's word, but this is one of my favorite verses. It's got so much grip to it. I love it. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, because you do have a choice. Sometimes we don't think we have a choice. We feel like we're in a no-win situation. But you really do have a choice in how you deal with the fool in your life. Let's review our previous session titles. The first session was, Are You on the Path of the Simple, the Foolish, or the Wise? We started there because we always need to start with ourselves, right? We don't want to enter into a series like this on the simple the foolish and the wise, and have it be all about thinking about the fools in our life and looking, oh yeah, now I know, they are a fool. No, we need to start right here. Are we making foolish choices? Are we on the path of the simple? Or are we on the path of the wise? And I'll come back and give more definition for those of you that are joining us for the first time today. The second session was entitled, You Can't Change Your Fool. You can't change your fool. The fool in your life can change, but you will not be the one to change them. And then our third session was, Let Go of Your Fool and Live. And today we'll be talking more in a different way unpacking in a different way what it really means to let go. Not a trite-sounding phrase, 
Because the one who has revelation, it isn't trite. If you know Jesus Christ is your life and sufficiency, it isn't trite. For you to have revelation that he's more than enough, that's not trite if you have the revelation, if it's real to your heart. If letting go is real to your heart and you're living it and you have the grace to do it, it's not trite. It's not simplistic. It is your reality. And you're grateful that God's giving you that grace. So may God give us grace to see, grace to live, grace to put into practice these things. Just for the sake of definition, let's step back and talk about what is, it, what is the simple person? What, what do we mean by that? Well, the simple is one who lives a life where he or she shows little sense of reasoning ability. They are easily misled. They are lacking in sound judgment. They are undisciplined. They are ignorant of God's word. They are naive. They have very little foundation for living. If anything, they have their own foundation for living. They're not teachable, in other words. No matter what you say to them or how you would counsel them, they are convinced that their way is the better way. Now, we don't, we're not giving them an excuse when we say they're naive and uh, untaught or not very knowledgeable. In other, words, not, in other words, they're ignorant of God's word, if in fact they are. We're not making an excuse because, as I've shared before, we're not only responsible for what we do know, but we're responsible for what we could know. And part of what characterizes the fool is they're unconcerned and they're not seeking what they could know. That is a, at least a beginning description of how we could describe a fool. To expand that, however, we could say thick-headed, stubborn, unteachable, self-sufficient, hardened, or excuse me, uh, I'm still on the, uh, on the simple. Let me back up a second. So yes, that is a beginning description of the simple. Now let's move on to the fool, which I just began to describe. Foolishness is characterized by being thick-headed, stubborn, unteachable, self-sufficient, hardened, unbending, hot-headed, reckless, incorrigible, perverse, quick to quarrel, and being one who finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his or her own opinions, as it says in Proverbs 18.2. So the simple might be living with a smile on their face <clears throat> or a frown. They may be happy or unhappy, but they're just doing their own thing, and they're not motivated to change. They're not really interested in your counsel or your help, not really that teachable, but they aren't hardened yet. But when someone stays on the path of the simple and doesn't repent and enter on to <clears throat> change to the path of the wise, then they are very vulnerable for the street to stay on the same street, but for the name of the street to change from the simple to the fool. Mindy and I were talking about this the other day, and 
previously I'd made a statement in one of the earlier sessions that um, fools are former ones that were simple. Well, that's probably true in most cases. Those that are fools today formerly were simple. But then she reminded me, and I would have to agree, that with, with some they've seemed to just come right out of the gates of life. Right from the beginning, they've been a fool. And when she said that, I thought, you're right. They've been a fool since being a child. They've been incorrigible, they've been rebellious, they've been unteachable, unbending, defiant, and being their own God right from the beginning, from the early days. So, so it isn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily, the path of a, a fool doesn't always start on the path of the simple. Many times it does, but some are just fools early on. The important thing is to see what's true about us and who we're dealing with, not to judge them, but to be a part of the solution. Now, what is the wise person? How do we describe the wise person? Well, in the early, one of the early sessions, I gave more of a uh, amplified uh, version or description of that. And let me describe that at this time. Certainly a wise person is one who sees life from God's point of view and lives accordingly. But to expand that definition, a wise person would be one who's humble, teachable, fears the Lord, is self-controlled, is discerning, is gracious, sees things from God's point of view, and lives life on God's terms. Now, there are many scriptures, many scriptures that speak of the fool, the simple, and the wise in Proverbs, which I won't take the time to read all of those at this time. One of the things that I described in one of the earlier sessions was that we could be on this path of the simple, and then we come to a crossroads. We come to an intersection, and at that intersection, the street can change, and we continue on on a path of darkness, going deeper and darker, and the name of the street changes, if you will, and it becomes the path of a fool. But the Lord's invitation, of course, is that we make a U-turn, a spiritual U-turn, repentance, and we repent of the life of being simple or a fool, but before we even get on the path of a fool, we make that turn. That's the Lord's desire. And we enter on to the path of the wise. But even if we have proceeded through interse intersection after intersection and we have gotten on the path of a fool in fuller and deeper ways, it's not too late for a fool to repent. As I mentioned to you before, I stand before you as a former fool. I hope that gives you hope. Not just a former simple one, but a former fool who has repented, who's made that spiritual U-turn, and now is on the path of wisdom and the path of life. So with that in the way of review and definition, let's uh, proceed today 
with uh, what I have prepared for today to uh, conclude this series. Last week, we talked about this in a different way, but we were talking about letting go and what that really meant. And I've thought more about that, and I don't know that we can, uh, we can overdo that discussion. I don't know that we can exhaust that discussion. But, but I thought about it today in a different way, uh, not, not a total repeat of last week, but coming at it a different way. And uh, the terminology that came to my mind was, was kind of a play on words. You've, you've heard the, the expression, rules of engagement. Uh, what has been stirring in my heart regarding dealing with a fool would be rules of non-engagement. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning, which will serve us as a bit of a review, but it will also launch us into our table talk. And at this point, Jeff, if you can put those table talk questions back up, because we'll be coming to those. Rules of non engagement. Number one, in dealing with a fool, realize that the battle is likened to a war on terror. In other words, I don't want to overstate the issue, but it's the nature of this battle when you're dealing with a fool is like terrorism. You may think, whoa, what are you talking about? But when you think of what terrorism is like, with terrorism, there's, there's no rules of engagement. There's, there's no battle lines. Uh, the enemy, who the enemy is, isn't really clear. You know, in so many of the wars historically, it was, it was more clear who the enemy was. I realize in some wars it wasn't necessarily true. Like the Vietnam War, it was, it was difficult to, be, to determine who the enemy really was. I mean, a child could show up and, and um, be on a, quote, suicide mission, or a woman or someone like that, someone who wasn't in uniform. So that's somewhat of what I'm talking about. But we live in a day and age that I think helps us see what we're dealing with on an individual basis, too. And you've heard me say this in previous uh, freedom sessions as well. There is a war on planet Earth. There's a spiritual war. And the war is for our hearts. It's a spiritual war for our hearts. And it's really a terrorism type of a war. And Satan is a terrorist. And his demonic band is his terrorist band. And just as surely as Saddam Hussein has been taken out of office and is no longer able to do what he was doing before, the same spirit that operated in and through him, the, the nature, the same, the nature of the same spirit is still in operation on the world, in the world today. So isn't that interesting? Satan is defeated. But until Jesus comes to rule and reign on the earth again, the terrorism, his terrorism still goes on to some degree. The battle still goes on in a terroristic sort of way to some degree. It's so important that we see that. In the natural, it's so important for us to see that this war on terror is an unwinnable war. You'll hear things said like uh, against our president that, you know, he gets, needs to get those troops out of Iraq, you know, we're spending all this money. 
and it's hard on our budget and all of that, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be political here, I'm not running for office, but I would say that it, is, it would be more, ex let's talk finances, I believe it would be more expensive to pull out and not to continue to restrain evil because you can't legislate morality. It's something that has to happen in the human heart. You can't impose morality. You can't, you can't impose anything on anybody. It can't be dictated. It can't be imposed. Nothing changes unless the heart changes. You can't legislate it. You can't impose it. You can't dictate it. The human heart is the human heart. And just as surely as things will not change fundamentally until the king of kings shows up and rules and reigns, this war will continue. So the best we can hope for in the meantime is to restrain evil. You can't control it. You can't eliminate it. You can't stop it. But it can be restrained. Now that's on the global, the global picture. Let's bring it down. Okay, the global picture in the natural, and then, of course, the global picture in the spiritual, I'm referring to as well. This war for our hearts will continue. This terrorism by the enemy will continue, by Satan will continue, until Jesus comes again. Let's let it work for us. Let's not make it a point of dread. Let's not make it a point of, I can't stand it, I just want to get out of here. Let's make it a point of growth. Let's make it a point of going deeper. Let's make it a point of being, having our hands trained for war. And let's make it a point of preparation to rule and reign with Jesus forever. That's what we're being prepared for. We are being prepared to rule with him for eternity. It's, it's not wasted. It's preparation. Well, let's bring it down to the personal level. Lest you're thinking, what in the world? Are you calling my kids terrorists? Are you calling my husband or wife a terrorist? No. But the nature of it is that. And you maybe would not, maybe you wouldn't disagree with me. You'd say, I agree with you. I think, I think my son or daughter, I think it is terrorism. They're terrorizing me with their anger. They're terrorizing me with their disrespect. They're terrorizing me with, with their rebellion. I th you're right, it is terrorism. I feel like I'm being terrorized every day. So for some of you, you're thinking this isn't an overstatement. You've nailed it. But it is the nature of what we're dealing with. And it's so important that we see it for what it is. Because if you think you can change the heart of that other person, you'll frustrate yourself and you'll frustrate them and you'll just make it worse. You can't change their heart. If it's a parent-child relationship, the best you can hope for, as far as you, is to groove them for God and restrain evil. But they'll have to have a revelation of the king and surrender and repent before they'll ever change. Should you just let them go? and just let them go to hell and however they live, whatever? No, 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 no. We have a choice. The joyful challenge is, what is our choice? What are our choices? So, this is not a winnable war. Where you win. 
At best, you can only restrain evil. What we need is a change of heart under new government. Jesus Christ ruling in each heart. So, Jesus Christ ruling on planet Earth in the physical and the spiritual, the spiritual and the physical someday, spiritual and physical, and then in our situation, the only change, the only hope is a new change of government, a new ruler. (laughs) And you won't be able to legislate it. You won't be able to make it happen. Does that mean you give up? No. There's more. Number two, don't engage in combat. Don't make agreement the goal. Don't make understanding the goal. And don't make being right the goal. Again, I said that in a different way last week. Stay out of the web. If that imagery helps you better, go with that. (laughs) If this imagery helps you better, don't engage in combat. Number three, don't use the weapons of a fool in response to the fool or on the fool. Don't don't use their weapons. What are their weapons? I've mentioned those earlier. Their weapons are anger. Their, Their weapons are disrespect. Their weapons are silence. Those are the kind of weapons they use. Are you going to respond in like kind? Are we going to respond in like kind? Anger, sarcasm, silence, and the like. But we have weapons. We have weapons. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. They are spiritual for the overthrowing and tearing down of strongholds. Our weapons of warfare are in Jesus Christ. His name, his blood, his authority, desperate prayer, obedience-based living, not outcome-based living, It's a great trap to make outcome the issue. It's it's a stumbling block. If you make the outcome the goal, you're going to be on a roller coaster ride. The outcome regarding them or a change in you, either one, you're setting yourself up for failure. Respond in the opposite spirit. Returning good for evil and speaking the truth in love. Number four, no matter what you envision the outcome to be regarding your fool, the fool in your life, forgive them in advance. (laughs) Go to the extreme. You don't know how it's going to turn out. It's not negative confession. It's not a lack of faith. Go to the extreme. What's the worst possible thing they could do? Go there. Settle it there. Maybe your greatest fear is they're going to get pregnant out of wedlock. Maybe maybe your greatest fear is they're going to end up in jail. Maybe your greatest fear is they're going to kill themselves. Go to the extreme. Settle it there or you'll never be free. You'll live in fear if you don't settle it at the extreme. And what do I mean by settling at the extreme? Go right to the extreme 
And is Jesus enough there? Is he sufficient there? Is he your Lord and Savior, your friend, your master, your father, your sufficiency? Is he your life there? Or are you going to cease to exist if what you fear comes to pass? Is that what defines you? Is that what will define you as a parent, as a spouse, as a child of God? Are you going to let people, places, and things? Are you going to let circumstances? Are you going to let the fool or anybody else have the last say on who you are? Or are you going to let Jesus have the last say on who you are? And his last say will always be redemptive. It may mean facing some things that have been great failures. It may mean facing our sins and our sins that are abounding all over the place. It may may mean a lot of bad news that we need to face about ourselves and our hearts, but we can afford to face the bad news because of the good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, defeating the work of the devil and giving us a new life in him and a fresh start in him and a life defined by him. Now granted, now granted, there are others in our life that maybe will make choices that they will pay for and will limit them the rest of their lives. That is a part of reality here on planet Earth. Don't minimize that. We don't want to be simplistic and say, well, you know, you just turn your life over to Jesus and the nature of the fresh start is that it is totally a fresh start and there's no consequences, there's no jail term to serve, there's no limitations in ministry, there's no limitations at all. The truth of the matter is there are limitations. Oh, does that mean God isn't enough? Oh, does that mean he's holding back on me? That doesn't sound fair. Where's the forgiveness? Where's the love? What is, God is not, his goal isn't to make us happy and just restore everything so that we're happy and fulfilled. He's preparing us for eternity. He's training, he's training us to rule forever and ever and ever. And whatever he limits us here, whatever limitations there are here, will serve us well there. But our attitude will be huge. Because when we stand before him, what will we, will we be able, will we hear, well done, a good and faithful servant? Will we hear that we were a steward fully of everything that was entrusted to us? Or did we react and rebel against the limitations that were put on us? Did we resist the limitations or the restrictions that were put on us? And therefore we put our own limitations and our own restrictions on, ourse- on ourselves because of our attitudes. We are empowered to choose. Let me say this, and I'll probably say it again. We are never trapped. You are never trapped. It's a lie if you think you are. Because the definition of trapped includes you're giving someone other than God the definition of what you're involved in. Another lie we need to expose here today is this is a no-win situation. If you believe you're in a no-win situation, then you have given the keys to winning to someone other than God. Because in God's economy, there is no such thing as a no-win situation because winning is obeying Him. Winning is letting Him have His way. Winning is living on His terms. 
No matter what anybody else thinks, they can mock, they can revile, they can sneer, they can think you're foolish, they can think whatever they want to think if we live on God's terms. That's winning on his terms. There is no such thing unless you impose it on yourself, unless you decide to give power to someone other than God, including yourself. So realize there's no such thing as a no-win situation if we are operating on God's terms. Focus on the victory. Focus on victory on God's terms. Really, winning has more to do with your choices than the fool in their choices or the outcome. What is the goal of our session today? What's the direction? What is my desire for you? To realize that you do have a choice. You are empowered by the Lord to deal with the fool in your life on God's terms. Before we go to our table talk, let me seed your thinking. Because here's what I want you to do in your table talk time. I want the leaders at each table, and if there's more than one leader at each table, just prefer to one another until you decide. <laughs> but choose one of the five. If time permits, you can go on to another one. Don't start at the top and go down. Choose one that you have decided. You know, the leader can solicit input very briefly. You may have as many desires at your table as there are questions on the board here, on the screen. Don't let that frustrate you. You're the leader. You decide. Lead. You decide and facilitate discussion on one, time permitting, more than one, you choose. Keep this in mind, no matter what issue, no matter what issue is represented at your table, if you'd rather talk about the teenager issue, if you'd rather talk about the marriage issue, you may think, oh, I'm, oh I want to really talk about that, but they're talking about something else, and that doesn't really relate to me. No matter what you talk about, it will relate to you. It will relate to your situation. We're talking about the distinctives, but the common denominators are the same. They apply in every situation. So it's going to be win-win. See, I've just given definition to winning for your table. <laughs> because if you decide we've got to talk about what I really want to talk about, or this is a waste of time, then you have decided wrongly. Win-win. Let me seed your thinking, and then we'll have some time. Can a fool be a Christian? Well, if we go to the extreme, let me ask this. In Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Hmm. Okay, I just went to the extreme, didn't I? That certainly doesn't sound like a devout follower of Jesus Christ to me. Safe to say. Romans 1.18 and verses following... I'll just quote verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And that's the passage where God just turned them over to the depravity of their minds and the lusts of their flesh. Romans 1.18, chapter 1, verse 18 and following. And then Exodus, the fifth chapter, 
Pharaoh, referring to Pharaoh and the children of Israel. Moses had gone, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, this is classic. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Wow. There is a classic description of a fool right there. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's not my Lord. He's not my God. What are you doing here? I'm not going to let you go. And then we know that he did let them go eventually. God brought pressure to bear, pain to bear, and finally the fool relented. But then what did God do? Then what did he do? And let's turn to this, because this is very important to emphasize. Because you might, you might, you might have a question mark. Why would God harden somebody's heart? I mean, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, if God hardens him heart, then he can't help it. He can't help but rebel. He can't help but not submit to God. I mean, that doesn't sound fair. Don't go there. Don't go there. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. And what does it mean to harden? When God hardened his heart, he, the word harden means to make stronger. In other words, stronger, in this case, stronger in the condition that it was already in. But then you may say, why? If God's going to do anything to his heart, why doesn't he work on his heart and have it lead to repentance? Wouldn't that be better? It would. But God, in his infinite foreknowledge, knows what we are going to choose. It's not fatalism. It's not sovereignty of God without the free will of man. It's the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. It's the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, both operating. More than one thing is true at the same time. God, in his infinite foreknowledge, knew that Pharaoh was never going to repent. So he was going to use him as his instrument for his purposes and glory, which is God's prerogative. And here it is, Exodus the 14th chapter, and God is speaking to Moses, verse 4, 14, 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself, though Pharaoh and all of his army and, the, and Egyptians, and I'll start again, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who had already left. God and his purposes, and of course we, we know if we took the time to read on, uh, God opened the sea, the Israelites got through and Pharaoh and his army were enveloped in the sea. God's prerogative. This should put the fear of the Lord in us. You may be dealing with someone, you may be dealing with someone who's on the path of a fool. Oh yes, keep praying, keep obeying. 
But know this. God knows what they're going to do. And the further they go down the road of darkness, the harder it will be for them to repent. Don't approach it like it's already decided, so it doesn't matter if you pray. Pray as if it depends on you on one hand, and pray just as fully and simultaneously that it's totally dependent upon God. In other words, full engagement, desperate prayer, pleading with God, crying out to God, Lord, change their heart, awaken them. I take authority over the spirits that are blinding them. I take authority over the generational spirits that have them bound. Lord, open their eyes. Bind and muzzle those spirits of darkness that are lying to them, deceiving them. Lord, intervene, we pray. But keep this in mind. Keep one thing in mind. You can take authority over the demonic, because we have the authority. You can bind and muzzle spirits that are involved in other people's lives. But before they are free, before they're free, it's one thing to have the influence bound enough, distance enough, so you're praying, the Holy Spirit's convicting. They still have to repent. So the purpose of the binding is for the Holy Spirit to be loosed to, to convict. But know this, their repentance is not automatic. They have to repent. You can't repent for them. You can't obey for them. You can't see for them. You can't change for them. Full participation, binding and muzzling. Lord, make a way. I can remember. Years ago... I was counseling a couple, and they were unhappy with me because of the counsel I was giving. And uh, he was really unhappy with me, and he was involved in drugs and, and uh, immorality. And uh, years later, well, actually, before, uh, I'll back up a second. After that session, his wife said he was really upset with me. And in fact, she said uh, he had talked about uh, killing me. Uh, at that point, you start wondering, is that really the counsel I wanted to give? But then I knew, I've got, I've got to have the fear of the Lord here. I don't want to die, but I must obey. I'm not trying to be a hero, but I must be a man of integrity. So, but at that point, when I heard that there might be a threat on my life, here's how I prayed. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you will bind and muzzle any spirit of darkness that will incite him to do me harm, to do his wife harm, or to do anyone harm in Jesus' name. And I prayed that in those days. And we probably asked others to pray too. Years later, I found this out, something out, very interesting. Years later, this person came to the Lord, by the way. He repented, uh, entered into full-time vocational ministry with his wife. Radical, unbelievable it's always unbelievable, but it's always, it's, it's a miracle. Here's what he testified to, to a group years later, and Jeff was there. He said that he came out here one day with a hand grenade and that he was going to kill me. He had a hand grenade. But he saw the children in the school, and he didn't want to harm them. So he left. God intervened. You can't change a fool, but a fool can change. 
Don't trust in your prayers. Don't trust in your obedience. Don't trust in your part, but fully engage in your part. And then, of course, as we read in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, it's clear that someone who is practicing foolishness, as it's described in those verses, is certainly not one who is in the process or on a track of inheriting the kingdom of God. But a fool can still repent. I'm not saying they can't. Former fool, remember? I did. It was a miracle. It always is a miracle. Former fool who repented, who came to his senses. Okay, just a few more points, and then we'll have our table talk. Let me just summarize the last point before we go on, though. Keep in mind that what's true, what is true of a fool, one who stubbornly goes his or her way, habitually refuses to bend his or her knee to God, and holds to his or her belief that he is able to be his own source or resource. We're talking about a fool, the path of a fool. I've just described. Is that a devout follower of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Is that curable? Yes. Is God a redeeming God? Of course. Does he love us? Of course. Is he pursuing? Yes. But uh, part of what I would describe is um, God will throw his lifeline. Imagine this. The fool's in a hole. And the fool comes to their senses down in the hole. And they can't get out on their own. And the fool finally, the repentant fool finally realizes I can't get out of this hole on my own. Because before that, I don't need God. I can figure it out. God throws the rope down with a life ring on it. The fool has to grab a hole. God's going to pull, and the fool must engage and climb out. And there's the picture of salvation. It's not just the Holy Spirit overwhelming us. Oh, I'm just saved. Oh, what happened here? What happened? I guess I'm saved. No. Our will is fully engaged, enlightened enough to see 